I'm Nicola Dean and this is Safeguarding Matters with the Ancraft Trust. Hello, I'm here today with Abra Miller and we're going to be talking about a piece of research that Abra did during lockdown. Hi Abra, can you just introduce yourself? Hi, uh, yeah, sure. I'm Abra Miller. Um, I am a consultant and I work with the Ancraft Trust. Um, I do a lot of kind of research and data analysis um, and I've done quite a few surveys like this before. So I had a chat with ACT about how we could um, run a couple of surveys to find out what's happening and what's changing with sports during lockdown. So we did two surveys. Um, the kind of what I'll go with why we did it first. So mainly, obviously, what was happening at the time when it was really early lockdown, kind of March, April time. Everything was changing so much. We didn't quite know exactly what was going to happen. Um, and it just felt like a lot of organisations, sports included, just didn't really know exactly what to do, what they should be doing, where their responsibilities were. So we thought we'd try and get some clarity over what's happening um, what people are doing um, and how sports organisations, sports and activity organisations could learn from each other to figure out who, you know, who's doing what and what they could be doing. Um, and how participants and the general public felt as well. How is it affecting them and what are they looking to their kind of sports and activity organisations for? So that's we ended up doing two surveys, one for the organisations themselves so they could share about the issues that they'd had or challenges and what they were doing um, to help the organisations learn from each other, as well as gauge, you know, what's happening. Um, and then we did the participant survey, which was a kind of general public um, representation of the UK, uh, about 500 people to find out um, how the kind of coronavirus lockdown had affected them in everything from their activity levels, were they, you know, more active or less active? Um, and, you know, if they do have sports and activity clubs or organisations that they usually you know, go to or speak to, um, how how they've done, do they feel like they've done well? Do they feel like they've been communicated to? And what could their clubs do better to help them? Um, and again, as a way to try to help clubs you know, kind of navigate their way through what is really quite a, a scary time. We don't really know what's happening it was it, so you were really getting a snapshot weren't you of the impact of the pandemic on organizations at first we we're really trying to focus on trying to help um, and to try and find out what could happen to figure out you know, what could clubs do to respond and make things easier for people and um, but now it feels a little bit while we were doing it I think or while I was doing it at least I started to think, yeah, as a snapshot of what's happening, this could be a really effective way that maybe later down the line we did something similar to compare. Um, and even now, even in analysing the results after they took you know, a few weeks to come back, it already felt like things were starting to change again. That it, it was almost reminiscent of, oh, I remember when I felt like that. <laughs> yeah, it does it feel like, like history, but it's really recent history, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So... I mean, the report, you, you wrote two um, really detailed reports, didn't you, providing that snapshot of the impact of um, the pandemic on um, organisations, one on organisations, one on participants. Um, 
So can you just give us a bit of a taste of what you found? Generally, I'll go through them individually um, yeah. just because it's a little bit easier to do. But if there is anything that comes up, I'll mention. Um, but generally, um, for the organisation survey, a lot of organisations were finding that their safeguarding policy was helping them. The majority of them found that it was helping them navigate the outbreak and some of the extra complications that were kind of coming up as a result of it. Um, nearly 70 percent of organisations had considered um, the safeguarding issues or potential new issues that the new activities they were introducing could raise. So moving online, for example, or contacting people, all of those kind of bits that maybe they hadn't done before. Um, but nearly 80 percent hadn't made any changes to their safeguarding policy as yet. Um, and I know that's something that we kind of raised and have spoken about in more detail in the seminar that we did. So maybe we'll we'll come back to, to that. But a lot of people knowing that there were things to think about, but not necessarily being able to, to make those changes to their policies. Um, but 20 percent of the sports and activity organisations had. So it's obviously it's some were able to and some weren't. Um, generally, the safeguarding challenges that were raised most often by organisations were running online sessions safely. I think for a lot of them, it wasn't something they were necessarily familiar with and didn't quite know how to do it safely or not. Um, how they could reach participants effectively and appropriately and having what they should do about mental health concerns, any concerns they had about their participants. So it was good, really, that people were seeing safeguarding as an issue um, for adults that were providing a service to. So to me, whether they'd done the policy change or not, they were thinking about it, weren't they? And they were acknowledging, actually, what could go wrong? What would we do if it did happen? So they were, they were maybe, maybe they couldn't do a big policy change, but they could look at local issues and look at small things that they could put in place. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's so staggering that what, 70 nearly 70% of the organisations knew and were thinking about yeah. and trying to to overcome any safeguarding issues. Um, and yet almost a similar amount just over um, hadn't made any changes, but it could be the case that that was too tricky or that what is really important is that they're thinking about it. Yeah. It's much better I to mean, think about it than I, to not. I think um, I've heard from people who've said, you know, getting a policy change in the height of a pandemic would have been nigh and impossible However, what we could do was do um, local recommendations, local guidance. So that would be interesting to, as to whether people actually did that as like a little checklist that, to do when you're um, doing something online. Um, you know, so this is part of it. it. But, yeah, it's something for us at ACT to think about when we give guidance on writing a policy and procedure. If you make it absolutely set that and it's very difficult to change things you can't really respond when there's a crisis. So it, it's tricky. You want it to be embedded from the from the um, board downwards and from the clubs upwards. Um, but doing that can make it quite cumbersome to change, I think. Exactly. And especially with what we've experienced with furlough yeah. as well. If you have it written in a policy that certain people have to, you know, it has to go through certain people and it has to be signed off at certain stages... And then it becomes physically impossible to get those people to do that. Then it, it 
it's a massive challenge that I don't think any of us had really appreciated until now. Um, so I think, yeah, having a little potentially emergency clause or something in there to yeah. say in case of emergency and then maybe define what an emergency would be, um, something similar. If we can use this route instead, which is slightly faster. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's great. That's a good piece of learning really from it, isn't it? Um, so what about the participant um, survey? What did you find from that? Because you got a really good response to this one. It was about 500, just over 500 um, people from all across the UK. It was a representative sample or as much as it could be in terms of ages and distribution around the country. Um, I have also done a change where um, or a slightly more detailed report where we looked at each of the different countries because they were slightly different. Oh. But um, generally over half of the respondents we got from the kind of public survey they were exercising less frequency frequently. Um, only about 18% of people were exercising more. And when we broke that down a little bit more to see if they were people who were, who tended to be more active or not, we found the people who that were, were more active usually are even more active, have been even more active during uh, lockdown, potentially because it is something that they automatically go to as a support yeah. or a, as something to do and I had these visions of people who were thinking oh great now I can have an even longer run because yeah. I don't have my commute or I don't have to do this so um I found that quite interesting because I wasn't quite sure how that was going to work no. um but that was interesting to see um most of the people we spoke to thought that their clubs had responded well to the to the outbreak and uh, over 70% of them had received communication from their clubs or groups. I was quite surprised. 70% is quite high. But yeah. to think that, you know, around 30% of people wouldn't have heard anything at all is a little was a little bit concerning. And then when we had a look through to see um, the feedback on how clubs had done well or what they'd done well yeah. and what they hadn't done well, a lot of that came down to communication. So yeah. when we're looking at things that clubs had done well, you know, shutting down quickly, quick and fast communication, online classes, giving guides, halting fees was an interesting one. And that's pretty much the only one that's not to do with communication. Although even <laughs> then, it is a little bit to say, you know, we're recognizing what's happening and, you know, we're not spending the money doing this. So we're going to give it back to you. Or I think there were some examples where. They said, OK, you know, we know that you're not able to come, um, but we're going to, you know, half the fees next year or we're going to do this or we're going to do this with the money instead. Um, if you do pay fees, I can kind of understand how that yeah. you know, can make quite a good um, impression. But in terms of the things that the participants thought were hadn't done well, were mainly about poor communication, taking too long to do anything, flouting the rules. So you know, when we say flouting the rules, I think a lot of people were talking about meeting up anyway and continuing to do it, even in the height of lockdown, when it really was, you know, you can't go outside and meet anyone. Yeah. You know, you can only leave your house once a day for exercise. Um, and they seem to be, again, looking at the organisation survey as well, the, the biggest challenges they had were communication and technological issues. Because they were finding it hard to, they realised that their contact details they had weren't up to date. Yeah. So they couldn't 
contact people or they were trying to and weren't really sure what to do. Um, trying to contact people who don't have the Internet or don't have, you know, social media or whatever it was they were trying to contact them, them through. They weren't finding that um, easy to do. And communications so, at the heart of safeguarding, isn't it? So when I read that, I was like, oh, no, that really is. If you get your communication right, you keep in touch with people, you know where they are, you know that they know how to get in touch with you. You know, if anything crops up and anybody's got a worry, they know where to find you, you know how to find them. Again, it's part of the communication. It's a really, it's a bit formal, maybe, but it's quite a formal way to take um, feedback and to get feedback mm. And communicate with your participants or, or whoever it is that you're trying to learn about. Um, and it can be a really good way, I think, of clubs, especially and organisations to figure out what people want and what their participants want and not just doing what they think necessarily is the right thing to do. Um, for example, you know, in our surveys, we did also ask, um, you know, if you wanted clubs to improve, what would you want them to do? And um or what help do you want? And yeah. the participants came back and said, actually, yeah, we want clubs to host online classes. We want them to communicate more quickly with us. Tell us what's going on. Even if you're not sure yet, just having that reassurance that you, you know, you know what's going on and you're working on it, you know, giving video guides and tips and ideas and encouraging activity, just that motivational side of things. And for clubs, that would be such useful information to have. Of course, we've got it on a general point of view. We've just gone to the general public and said, what do you want? But if you yeah. are, uh, you know, you're a kayaking group or a netball group or, you know, a five-a-side football, you know, that can meet up once a week, just figuring out exactly what your participants want yeah. could help you communicate with them so much more effectively, engage with them effectively and make sure that, they feel heard as well, but you do care about yeah. them and you care what they think and you want to make it an environment that works for them. And I think it, you know, it works both ways. It's going to get those people more engaged, but it's also going to make them trust you more too. And one of the worries that we saw from organizations was that, that people might not know they can come to them, especially with, with a lot of the activities paused or closed during that time. And there was definitely a worry of people replaying things that had happened before and actually decided, no, actually, I'm not comfortable with that anymore. And I need to, to, to I need to raise that concern. And clubs were worried. I, well, we saw in the, um, the survey a few people saying we're worried they might not know who to come to or that they can come to us. And keeping this communication open, listening yeah. to people, whether it's through a kind of more formal survey um, or through, you know, chatting, yeah. staying around for a chat after a run or, or whatever you're doing. Yeah. And keeping those lines of communication open, trying to do a few of them as, you know, as you can, maybe surveys and chatting and all of those things, um, is going to make a lot of that a lot easier, much more approachable. And when people start to see the things that are changing because of things they've recommended and they've said, they'll, you just appreciate it, don't you? You do feel listened to and valued. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I, I think 
it's at the heart of um it should be at the heart of sport and activity, the voice of the um participant, the voice of the voice of the athlete. So if somebody is thinking about doing a survey, have you got any tips for them? Yeah, so it completely depends. Of like we've said, there's so many different types of clubs out there. If it's just mates in a park, you know, and you've got a little WhatsApp group, just put something in WhatsApp. Just message them and ask them, you know, if there's a couple of things that's playing on your mind of how you could make things better, just open it up. I know on mm-hmm. um, in some Facebook groups as well, a lot of people run their clubs through Facebook groups. Um, you put a little poll out and just see what people think. Um, if you want to do something a bit more formal, there's loads of options available to you. Survey Monkey, for example, is a really easy one to use. Um, you can just log in for free and set up a survey um, of about 10 questions or so. I think, Matt, I'm not sure actually if that is a maximum, but um, yeah, I probably wouldn't you make can it. get a few. That's enough. Yeah. I think try not to make too many questions um, and really focus on what do you want to know? What do you want to do? Um, and is it going to affect you? Because if you're just asking questions because you're it's nice that you're kind of wondering or you're kind of intrigued. But if it's not going to affect anything you do, that could also end up being frustrating to the participants. Because if you're giving your feedback and you're spending your time to try to make things better, but actually nothing you say can have an effect, maybe think about that (laughs) before you go off and just ask people random questions. But have a think about, you know, what are you assessing? Are you, do you feel like you've done, you're not quite sure if it's about, you know, opening up post COVID or or looking for not forward, but looking towards a potentially you know, another outbreak or local lockdowns or or anything like that. You know, you could ask people <clears throat> if there's a couple of options of how you could change things or, yeah. um, you know, shut down differently, then, you know, present them and see what they think and see what your feedback is. Um, and I think something that has definitely come up, which I think is probably on the minds of most sports and activity clubs and groups, although I think it's wider than just sports um, and activities, too. I think everything, everyone went online, obviously, because we couldn't see each other and um, running those virtual sessions or video guides or something like that. And a lot of people have said, I love that. And even after all of this. I really liked being able to get involved at my own pace or in my own time, um, especially with the video guides that you could look at later. So I think it's important for all organisations to look at what they've done, what worked, and actually do, is there parts of that that they could continue to do even when they're open and functioning as normal? Um, or at least now with, you know, with the certain restrictions that are in place. But, you know, you don't have to throw all of that away because now we can kind of see each other again. It's probably I think it's pushed a few people in a direction that actually there's probably some good stuff there that people who maybe maybe they can't leave their house once a week or they can't quite make time for it for whatever reason. That keeping them engaged by providing that content can be really valuable. Yeah, when we presented this at um, a seminar, an online seminar, do so they call it um, a mixed um, a mixed approach or something? So it'd basically be a mix of direct, you know, face-to-face and online. And that seems to be the way it's going, isn't it? So people do still need that online, I mean, that face-to-face, though, because, like you said at the right beginning, some people aren't on the internet. 
they don't want to be on the internet. So it's about thinking how we still engage with them as well. You know, if we're going to do surveys, how can they access it? You know, maybe on a piece of paper, even old school with a pen um, and, and give it back as well. Um, because not everybody wants to be doing a survey monkey, do they? Oh, no, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I think it's, it's that communication, isn't it? I think yeah. the last thing you want to be doing is thinking, right, I've done a survey monkey survey now, so I'm completely in touch with everyone who comes to my my group now, and I'm amazing at communication. And actually, maybe not. It's just part, yes. of, it's part of everything else, isn't it? Nothing on its own is going to be perfect. But making sure uh, that you know people know they can contact you in whatever way they feel comfortable with or what works for them. Yeah, and not waiting for a survey to come around here because I know some organisations do do annual reviews, which is fantastic. And I often feed into them and say about the work that I've seen them do and that I've appreciated. But you want it so that you get that feedback all the year through as well. So if something's working well, tell us. If something's not working, tell us. Yeah, plenty of food for thought, Abra. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks very much. Have you got anything else that you want to add? I don't think so. I feel like I should say something profound, but I don't think. <laughs> That's why I was asking you. I was like, oh, I don't know what to say. Uh, no, I think. I think that's pretty much, you know, obviously there's more detail in the reports yeah. if you go through them um, in a bit more detail. And there's always a story behind what's happening, you know. I think one thing actually that, that probably is worth mentioning that we did notice that is almost a story behind the data that we asked a few questions and we asked people to tell us whether they were, whether they identified as with someone who who is part of a group or a, or a club and a lot of people said no initially and then when it went on they almost changed their mind and said no sorry I am part of a group or club it's just that it's closed and because of the lockdown and um, it was interesting to see that and it made me wonder that maybe the, the clubs that were staying in contact and doing the online sessions and all of those things those people would be more likely to say yes I am in a club and identify as being part of the club because being part of the club is more than meeting on a Saturday morning and, you know, rowing or whatever. It's so much more than that. And that's what this made really obvious that people really, even if it's a pub quiz or, you know, a little weekly catch up that you can go to or you, you don't have to, yeah. those people still felt like they were part of that club. Whereas the people who haven't got that communication, who didn't have those things going on, um, were more likely to say, no, I'm not. And then later down the line, realise, oh, actually, I am. And I think that's quite telling. Because those people could quite easily not go. So if you don't see yourself as part of a club for quite a few months and then lockdown, you might not go back because actually it's gone out of my radar. Gone off my radar. Whereas if you completely engaged in it throughout, you're going to go back. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? You're just going to go back and that's what you do. So, yeah, that, that's really important. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Abra. Really nice thanks to talk me. to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to know more about our work, check out our website, ancrafttrust.org, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook, at Ancraft Trust. <laughs>